Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Norma, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's cancer care program, Progress in the Treatment of Multiple Myeloma. And this is such an important program, and I really just want to um, say that this is part one of a two-part series of Life with Multiple Myeloma. And uh, today uh, we have just wonderful uh, speakers on the program, and we have a lot of participants. We have over 200 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States. Uh, from uh, both rural, urban, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from New Zealand and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well. And today's program is supported by AbbVie, GlaxoSmithKline, Takeda Oncology, and the Diana Napoli Fund. And we really want to thank them for their support of this program. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today. And I want to begin by introducing our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. William Bensinger. Dr. Bensinger is with the Center for Blood Disorders and Stem Cell Transplantation, SCI's Personalized Medicine Program, Myeloma and Transplant Program, Swedish Cancer Institute. And Dr. Bensinger will be addressing an overview of multi-myeloma in the context of COVID-19, current standard of care, including the role of transplantation, and new treatment approaches. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Bensinger. Thank you, Carolyn. It's always a pleasure to be at these uh, conferences. Multiple myeloma is a blood cancer that arises from a particular type of white blood cell called a plasma cell. And normal plasma cells make antibodies. These are proteins that protect us from infection and these plasma cells also play a role in bone repair, and this is important when you develop myeloma. Occasionally, fortunately, very occasionally, one of these plasma cells acquires damage to its DNA. And when enough damage occurs, the plasma cell, which we now call a myeloma cell, begins to divide and reproduce in an uncontrolled fashion in the bone marrow. This is a hallmark of cancer. These myeloma cells fill up the bone marrow, crowd out normal cells, and can result in low numbers of red cells, anemia, bone destruction, abnormal bone fractures, high calcium levels, and problems with kidney function. Myeloma patients commonly have high levels of antibody, but it's abnormal. This is called M-proteins, but paradoxically, they have depressed levels of normal antibodies, making them more susceptible to infection. And this is especially important in the era of COVID-19. Now, COVID-19 is a new type of coronavirus never before seen in humans prior to the fall of 2019. What makes it dangerous is it is easily transmitted to other people, and because it is new, very few people have acquired any immunity to the virus. 
And there, at the current time, there are limited effective treatments, and there's no vaccine currently available. There is a drug called remdesivir, an antiviral, that has shown some modest benefit in infected patients. Older patients, patients with cancer, and especially patients with myeloma who already have a depressed immune system are especially vulnerable to this virus. And patients need to be extra cautious about potential exposure. Social distancing, masks, gloves, frequent hand washing, avoiding crowds and family members who are ill. Now, while treatment in a clinic or hospital does pose some risk of COVID exposure, it is important to emphasize that in general, patients with symptomatic myeloma, <clears throat> excuse me, should not delay treatment to avoid virus exposure. Delay in treatment could result in further organ damage and deterioration in health. And you should discuss the pros and cons of any desired treatment delay with your cancer specialist. The treatment of myeloma has improved greatly in the past 20 years. And as a result, patients are living much longer. The standard of care currently is to use a combination of three drugs from four groups. First, a corticosteroid, usually dexamethasone given weekly, combined with an immunomodulatory drug, and a third drug of either a proteasome inhibitor or a monoclonal antibody, usually targeting CD38. Immunomodulatory drugs are most commonly lenalidomide, but sometimes thalidomide can be used. Proteasome inhibitors could be bortezomib or exazomib, which is an oral bortezomib-like drug, or carfilzomib. The most commonly used CD38 antibody is daratumumab. And there is new and emerging data that four drug combinations using a drug from each of these four classes is superior to three drugs. Exceptions to the three drug would be very elderly or frail patients who wouldn't tolerate a, a three-drug regimen well. Now, after the initial therapy, the standard of care for suitable patients is to undergo high-dose therapy followed by autologous stem cell transplant. This has been firmly established by multiple randomized studies of newly diagnosed patients who undergo induction therapy followed by either continued conventional therapy or autologous stem cell transplant. Autologous transplant has consistently been shown to improve the depth of response, prolong disease control, and in most studies, improve survival. Now, suitable patients generally means patients under age 70 without serious lung or cardiac disease. Patients over age 70 may also benefit from autologous transplant, but randomized trial data in older patients are lacking. Older patients who do not undergo transplant have been shown to benefit from continuous treatment rather than stopping therapy after a fixed number of cycles. Now, with regard to COVID, it may be appropriate to delay 
autologous transplant, depending on your disease response and the current practices of the transplant center where your treatment will occur. You should definitely discuss this with your cancer doctor. With regard to newer treatments, where there are many, many new treatment approaches that are evolving rapidly and are mostly focused on improvements of the immune system. The first and now well-established treatments are monoclonal antibodies uh, targeting the myeloma cell, and these include the aforementioned daratumumab, but also a drug called isotuximab, also targeting CD38, and elotuzumab targeting another protein on myeloma cells. There's a novel immunotherapy targeting uh, a, a target called B-cell maturation antigen, and it, we call it BCMA for shortness. It targets a protein on myeloma cells, and it's coupled to a chemotherapeutic agent. We call these immunotoxins to deliver the chemotherapy into the cancer cell. Uh, and this is nearing FDA approval. Other novel immunotherapies include CAR T-cells or bispecific T-cell engaging molecules, and these show promising results, and it's likely one or more of these therapeutics will receive FDA approval in the next year. We are literally just at the beginning of a major shift in cancer treatment, moving away from cytotoxic chemotherapy and moving to more targeted strategies, including the immunotherapies that I mentioned. And with that, I'll stop. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Bensinger. That was just a wonderful introduction to the treatment of myeloma, and also in the context that we live today. And I, is, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, but thank you so much. Thanks always for being so wonderful on these programs. Thank you. Our next speaker is Dr. Nupur Rajay. Dr. Rajay is Director, Center for Myeloma, Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center, Professor of Medicine, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Rajay will be addressing clinical trial updates, how research contributes to your treatment options, practical tips for symptom, side effect, and pain management, and reducing complications of bone disease. It's now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Rajay. Thank you so much, uh, Carolyn, for having me on this uh, call today, and thank you to all the listeners also for spending uh, time with us especially in this uh, uh, time frame when there's so much of uncertainty around COVID-19. Dr. Benzinger has done an excellent job sort of giving you an overview of myeloma, talked to you about the treatments available for myeloma, and has also highlighted uh, the impact that the pandemic has had on the disease. Uh, I do want to underscore the fact that despite the pandemic, you know, we are all here for uh, you to support you through this. Um, this is new territory that we are all going through, uh, but we are here to navigate it with all of you. And having said that, uh, you know, I just want to highlight a few things in terms of clinical trials and research. You've heard a lot from Dr. Benzinger in terms of how we are at a threshold of really 
changing the paradigm of treatment specifically in myeloma where we are moving away from cytotoxic chemotherapy and moving more to targeted approaches. Well, multiple myeloma is a perfect example of this. And we've had so many FDA approvals in the last several years. And more recently in the last year, in fact, we've had three. He's mentioned a couple of them. He's mentioned esotuximab, which is a CD38 monoclonal antibody, which was quite recently approved. We've also had approvals of some of the old monoclonal antibodies, such as deratumumab, in the now subcutaneous form. So we are used to getting it intravenously, but now we have the subcutaneous version, so can be given under the skin. And uh, this is largely because of clinical trials, which have translated very rapidly into getting these approved so that more patients can have access to these more convenient forms of treatment. And I will also mention one other drug, which is called Selenexor, with a completely different mechanism of action. It's an oral drug which is given now once a week, um, and this was also very recently approved by the FDA, and it is because of your participation in these clinical trials that we've been able to really move the needle forward in terms of multiple myeloma, which has really not only impacted outcomes in myeloma, but has allowed you to live a long, long time without evidence of symptoms from your myeloma. There are other drugs which have been mentioned, and we are specifically interested in the BCMA target, which again, Dr. Benzinger has mentioned, BCMA or B-cell maturation antigen. We have a new monoclonal antibody called belantamab mafodotin, and there are clinical trials which were presented at a very recent ASCO meeting, which show a lot of promise. Another very exciting area of uh, BCMA-targeted strategies includes CAR T-cells or cellular therapy, which is showing really quite amazing results. And the last aspect is the bispecific T-cell engagers. And these are all clinical trials, and I would really urge you to participate in some of these if it is appropriate for you, depending on where you are in your care for myeloma. And the one other thing which I will highlight is clinical trials are still ongoing in most of our institutions despite the pandemic, and we are actually focused on more of those clinical trials, which we do know are going to really be impactful in terms of disease outcomes. Shifting gears slightly now, I'm going to talk to you about symptoms. Dr. Benzinger has highlighted some of them. I'm just going to highlight a couple more there. One is infection. We, he talked about infection specifically in the COVID era right now. And the one thing with myeloma patients with symptomatic multiple myeloma, you may be at a higher risk for infection. So if unwell, you should absolutely get in touch with your healthcare providers and seek uh, guidance from your healthcare providers. Providers. The other thing we do know with myeloma is it can cause your immune system to go down. And if your immunoglobulins are decreased in the context of infections, we do recommend that you get intravenous immunoglobulins, which can help prevent infections. Obviously, you should get immunized if and when immunizations are available with the flu shot and pneumonia shots as well. Finally, I think I will talk to you about bone disease. Bone disease is something which is 
uh, seen in the majority of myeloma patients, more than um, 80%, and I would argue more than 100% of patients with myeloma would, in fact, have some evidence of bone disease, depending on how we look for this bone disease. And this is largely because of uh, the disease itself, wherein the myeloma cells are known to destroy um, bone and cause problems. And if left untreated, bone disease can uh, translate into problems such as bony aches and pains. You are at a higher risk of developing fractures. And you may require things like surgical interventions or uh, also might uh, end up um, requiring radiation, which we pretty much like to avoid. So we would in fact, like to prevent bony-related problems, which uh, myeloma patients do end up experiencing. And the best way of preventing bone-related problems is actually taking care of the underlying myeloma. So if your myeloma is under good control, the chances of you developing bone-related problems goes down quite dramatically and quite significantly. And therefore, if you have symptomatic active multiple myeloma, the best thing that you can do is actually get treated for the underlying myeloma. In addition to that, we have other things that we do for bone disease. And there are several drugs that can help prevent or uh, prevent some of the complications associated with bone disease, and these include a monoclonal antibody known as denosumab, which has most recently been approved for the treatment of bone disease. This is a drug which is given every four, three to four weeks, given under the skin subcutaneously, and it is known to reduce risk of developing fractures, risk of developing hypercalcemia, and the risk of um, developing uh, bony aches and pains or risk of requiring surgery from these bone-related complications. This is specifically useful in patients with kidney-related problems with myeloma because it's safe on the kidneys and it is shown to reduce all these bone-related complications that I've just alluded to as well. There are other drugs also which we are very familiar with in the space of bone disease and these include either pomidronate also known as iridia, or the other one called zoledronic acid, also known as zometa. These are given intravenously, and these are again given monthly initially, and then one can start spacing these drugs out quite a bit. Uh, the one thing to remember is with zoledronic acid, it can be toxic to the kidneys. So if you have kidney-related problems, we would prefer to use denosumab because we do have an alternative in terms of taking care of bone-related problems. In addition to whatever is being given to you for your bone-related problems, I think uh, uh, there are a few things that you can do to help with bone disease. That is, make sure that you are uh, calcium replete. Also, make sure that your healthcare team has tested you for vitamin D levels and make sure your vitamin D replete. And in general, we recommend about 2,000 units of vitamin D and we uh, recommend 500 milligrams of calcium if you are on a bone-targeted agent. 
there's a lot of research going on in the bone space as well, and all of these drugs are known to sort of reduce bone-related complications from myeloma, but what we are studying in the lab right now are drugs which can actually hopefully cause healing of your bone-related problems from myeloma, and some of these drugs are in clinical trials as we speak. So with that, I think there's a bunch of other things that we can uh, refer to. One is kidney damage in myeloma can be common, and it's really, really important that you stay on top of making sure that you are adequately hydrated in addition to making sure that you're on the correct treatment for your myeloma. We've already talked about infections. Uh, pain control, you might need pain medication for certain symptoms and uh, reaching out to your healthcare provider to get whatever you need for pain control if you do have trouble from bone-related uh, problems or any other uh, problems is important. Infections, again, we've talked about specifically important during this pandemic where we stay on top of infections. If you need intravenous immunoglobulin, make sure you reach out to your healthcare providers to get that as well. So with that, I think I will stop here, Carolyn. Thank you so much, Dr. Roger. Uh, excellent presentation um, and really very important information about um, taking care of one's bones, things people can do, um, treatments that are available now that really are so important and, um, and to really work with their healthcare team. So thank you. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. So thank you as always, Dr. Roger. Thank you. Um, and our next speaker is uh, Dr. Elizabeth O'Donnell. Dr. O'Donnell is Director of Lifestyle Clinic Massachusetts General Hospital, Associate Director, Massachusetts General Cancer Center's Survivorship Program, um, and Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. And Dr. O'Donnell will be addressing the benefits of lifestyle, physical activity, and mobility to improve your quality of life, telehealth, telemedicine appointments to reduce your exposure to COVID-19, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments with your healthcare team. It's now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. O'Donnell. Thank you very much for the wonderful introduction. I'd like to acknowledge the very interesting um, and on-point comments of my colleagues, Dr. Bensinger and Dr. Rajay. Uh, it's my uh, pleasure and privilege to be able to talk to you today about something that I think is really important during COVID, um, and that is really lifestyle um, and the impacts that, that COVID has had on quality of life. As our clinics have started to reopen and uh, re-expand after this initial surge, what's become very clear to me in my practice is the effect uh, that this virus has had on people's quality of life. Well, I've heard many people joke that there's a second COVID-19, and that's the weight gain, similar to the freshman 15 or what have you. I think that's actually very real where patients have had uh, changes to their physical functioning, their weight, their nutrition, uh, and many of the different pillars of their lifestyle, which also includes stress, uh, sleep, relationships, and the use of substances. For myeloma patients, physical activity can be a challenge, particularly in the setting of skeletal injury. However, it's critical uh, for patient overall wellness. In the setting of COVID, many patients are currently restricted, uh, both in their ability to leave their homes, but also um, in their ability to go to places like gyms or, or exercise classes and yoga, which might have normally been a part of their life. 
this is also compounded by the fact that there is um, greater stress. This is a very stressful time, particularly for patients who are undergoing cancer care. Uh, this can affect sleep as well, both the stress, um, lack of activity, um, and certain dynamics. Uh, there has there's often been reported use of uh, greater substances such as alcohol to mitigate the stress and some of the um, uh, issues arising for COVID. So together, I think it's all in all uh, worth looking at how you can help yourself to mitigate um, some of these stressors and the impacts of COVID on your lifestyle. And while gyms are for the most part not open, though I know there is regional variability, uh, there is still an opportunity to exercise. Um, I have been counseling my patients that it is safe to walk with a mask on, uh, preferably avoiding very public or crowded places, but it is a great time to reconnect with nature, uh, to get outside of your home, to walk. The American College of Sports Medicine and Cancer Society recommend 150 minutes of uh, physical activity of moderate intensity per week. Um, that said, there is, are updated guidelines that would suggest that even three uh, days of exercising 30 minutes per day can be beneficial uh, to improving physical functioning, mood, uh, sleep, so, and quality of life. So I would encourage all patients to try to meet that bar of 30 minutes of physical activity a day, even if it's walking. For some people, too, uh, working from home has been uh, an element of their uh, COVID experience. I, I'm now myself, I think, on my fourth or fifth Zoom call of the day, tied to my chair here. Uh, but there are things that you can do if the nature of your job has changed such that you're working your house, such as getting up and moving. If you're not leading or participating on a call, it's okay to, to uh, blank your screen out and, and walk and, as you listen to um, a program. If you're watching more TV or spending more sedentary time, get up, move around the house. If you're taking a phone call, again, do it standing and walking. Try to limit your inactivity if you're unable to participate in physical activity. There are a lot of resources online. In fact, the MGH Cancer Center does offer free exercise videos. Uh, you can Google them. Uh, they're also available on YouTube. These are safe videos that can be done in the home. So looking for these types of re uh, free resources may also be of benefit to you. Limiting the amount of alcohol consumption in particular uh, will help sleep, weight, uh, and overall wellness. It is recommended that women not consume more than one alcoholic beverage per day and two for men. Uh, focusing on a health, healthy plant-based diet is also a recommendation and trying to get at least seven hours of sleep per night. Um, all of these will ultimately benefit uh, your overall wellness and improve uh, your quality of life. Uh, one of the other topics I've been asked to talk about today is telemedicine uh, and the use of the virtual platforms uh, for medical care. Uh, this is particularly important um, uh, in this time of infection uh, to limit patient exposures to clinic um, for patients who don't have to be there. And then for patients who do have to be there, having fewer people there so not as not to increase their risk of exposure. Many cancer centers have gone to virtual platforms. I know ours has as well. Obviously, this is a, a, a mixed 
um, change, some for the good. And, and, you know, while you do not get to personally be uh, in the company of your patients, which is something I personally love very much, um, there are certain benefits to this. Uh, it certainly allows us to have fewer patients in the cancer center, which ultimately we think translates to greater safety. But for patients who are in remission um, or who are on oral-based therapies, um, it does liberate patients or patients who live afar from having to come in and spend time uh, in the cancer center. We have been successful um, in having patients draw labs locally, uh, reviewing those labs uh, prior to the appointment, and being able to have virtual sessions. So I think that there are a lot of positives that can come out um, of virtual visits, which also include greater access potentially to second opinions or consultative um, uh, appointments uh, for your care. If you do do a virtual uh, visit, I think there are um, some tips that may help uh, optimize that time you spent with your provider. Uh, make sure you make a list of the subjects that you want to cover. Um, review your own medicines uh, to know which ones you need refills on. Uh, if there's an important lab that needs to be reviewed, make sure you get it uh, ahead of time so that it's available for review uh, at the time of your appointment. Um, and I do really think that this is a, a way that can help people uh, stay safe but still connect with their treating teams that has been evolving uh, quite quickly but is, is really um, quite effective and good. Not every patient is comfortable using a virtual platform. And what I mean by virtual platform is a computer interface where we use a uh, camera from either a phone or a laptop computer to see each other, patient and provider. Um, if you don't have uh, access to that kind of technology or not comfortable using it, do let your provider know. Um, some hospitals do have teams trying to help um, educate and facilitate for patients. But also, if it's just not the right medium for you, I know I'm comfortable doing phone visits uh, to help my patients, and I think many providers feel the same as I do. So with that, I'll close. But again, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about some of these other factors that are affecting patient wellness uh, during this COVID pandemic. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. O'Donnell. That was really wonderful and excellent, and, and really the, uh, stressing the importance and how to in, in, uh, how to be more active um, and, and so making very specific tips on how to be more active are, are amazing. And then, of course, the health, telehealth appointments. I know there will be questions about that because I know many people um, find them useful, but many people also, it's good to hear that they also can, if for some reason someone doesn't have the technology, they can actually um, speak to their physician on the phone. So that's really incredibly helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and um, I'm just going to say a few words about Cancer Care's programs and services, and then we're going to take questions. So please uh, get your questions ready because we're going to be taking questions in just about two minutes. I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm an oncology social worker, and I'm Director of Education Training with Cancer Care. And I wanted to just give you a, a snapshot of many of the services that Cancer Care does offer. Um, so you can contact us by calling our Hope Line at 1-800-813-4673, or you may make connection with us via our website at www.cancercare.org. And so what can you expect to get from us? What, uh, what are the services we offer? First of all, all the services are free, and we do offer uh, practical and financial assistance, um, and really that's 
always been a hallmark of this um, 75-year-old organization, actually, now 76 years old, actually, um, that those specific services are available. And so that's something many people call us for help with. Um, the financial assistance programs are restricted to people in the United States. All the other services people can contact us about anywhere in the world, and we will be very happy to help you connect and get those resources. You also will be speaking to a master's level trained oncology social workers about whatever your concerns or questions might be. And so it's a great opportunity to get support and to get really um, an opportunity to talk with someone about questions you may have um, about living um, with multiple myeloma or any type of cancer, um, that we are here um, to provide uh, just a whole range of services for you. So with that being said, we now do have time for questions. I'm going to ask Norma to bring all of our speakers on board, and um, we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Uh, Norma? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Again, to ask a question, that's star 1. So if a question from one of our online participants, um, and this one would be um, for Dr. Raiche, how long does it take before you feel side effects from Revlimed with dexamethasone? So that's a great question, Carolyn, but it's very variable uh, for people, um, uh, and it also depends on how long you've been on Revlimid, so the toxicities can be quite different. The immediate toxicities that we see with Revlimid, uh, when I say immediate in the first few weeks, it's usually uh, the commonest one is skin rashes, and if you end up with a skin rash, make sure you let your docs know, and it might require you to be on a little more of steroids or might require some dose adjustment. Other immediate sort of toxicities that we see are, you know, people are prone to blood clots if you're not on good um, anticoagulation. So uh, at least uh, aspirin is absolutely recommended while you're on Revlimid. So these are sort of the early uh, side effects. And if folks have been on Revlimid for a long time and because of what you've heard from Dr. Benzinger about continuous therapy and maintenance therapy, we do keep our patients on Revlimid for uh, protracted periods of time and patients stay on Revlimid for a long long, long time. So the common side effects late on are largely related to the bowels. So GI-related problems, diarrhea specifically is common. And there are a few things that you can do to alleviate those. Um, one of them being, you know, staying away from dairy, staying away from dairy products helps. Uh, trying to uh, sometimes a drug called cholesterol, which is an enzyme which allows you to um, digest fatty foods better is actually quite helpful in people. So really variable and depending on where you are with your treatment with Revlimid, you, you can experience any of these side effects. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and a question uh, for Dr. Bensinger. Um, so I could not produce enough stem cells for a transplant. Um, are there alternative options? So there, uh, it obviously depends on how uh, they tried to mobilize and collect your stem cells. The most common 
Methodists to use daily injections of a growth factor called GCSF. And there are studies that have shown a dose response in terms of the ability to mobilize. So depending on the dose that was used for mobilization, they could try to remobilize with higher doses of GCSF. That can be uh, sometimes more effective. Another strategy is to use another drug called Plerixifor. This is a drug that works in concert with the GCSF to help release the actual stem cells that are bound to your bone marrow. And there's a, a lot of data adding this drug into GCSF during mobilization, and it does definitely boost stem cell content. Finally, uh, there is also a strategy utilizing chemotherapy. Uh, the most commonly used one is cyclophosphamide in a, in a moderate dose. And what happens is patients become neutropenic, but then during the rebound phase on GCSF administration, they will often mobilize more stem cells. So any of those three strategies may work, uh, either alone or, or combined, to improve the ability to collect stem cells. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and a question for Dr. O'Donnell, um, a two-part question. One, um, asking about nutritional tips um, for people living with multi-myeloma, and also the other about um, because of the COVID-19 and being more restricted to home, just some additional tips about activity level and mobility um, within the constraints of a home. So those are great questions. So, you know, it's actually really interesting. Um, there's not a lot of data that's specific to multiple myeloma about nutrition. In general, it's understudied across cancer. But there are certain things that we do recommend for all cancer patients. Um, that is limiting the amount of refined sugar you eat in your diet, so foods that contain white sugar, uh, limiting the amount of red meat and really any processed meats, deli meats, sausages, um, uh, things of that nature, um, and with the goal to really be to eat a plant-based diet, so 60, about 60-plus percent of your diet coming from fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. So any trying to avoid other things like white flowers as well are all in general better for your health. Um, in terms of your question about other activities within the home, so, you know, it depends if you have stairs in your home. Doing stairs can be uh, walking up and down the stairs uh, can be a valuable way to do strength training. You can even use your chair uh, to do sit-to-stand activities, which will strengthen your quadricep muscles. Part of, you know, any uh, physical wellness plan for a cancer patient does include resistance training two days a week, which is strength training. Patients with multiple myeloma have to be very careful, though, about lifting weights if they have lytic bone disease. Um, so that's something that would require a little more guidance. But I do encourage you, if you are within your own home, uh, to look, if you do have web or TV access, to look for resources um, on uh, channels such as YouTube. There is a lot of free content uh, which would be available to you, and you can probably find something you might enjoy. Another thing that a lot of people enjoy, which is fun, is dancing. Put on some music and dance around your house. That is activity. It's good for you, and it will make you feel happier and better. So not one that's often uh, you know, remembered, but also really can do the trick uh, in this environment. 
Um, so, yeah, those are some recommendations. Oh, that's excellent. Really wonderful recommendations, Ashley. Thank you. Um, thanks so much. Um, and um, a question for Dr. Um, Benson here. What are the options for relapsed refractory myeloma? There are just a myriad of options for patients that uh, have recurrence of their disease. Um, there's too many to go into here, but uh, uh, it's wonderful because there are so many different choices. Um, for example, if, it, if, the, if it's been a long time interval from your initial therapy, and let's say you relapse either off therapy or on a low dose of lenalidomide, you can actually be retreated with the, the initial drugs and often obtain a very good response. As I mentioned, there are other proteasome inhibitors that can be used, such as if you had uh, bortezomib, you could use uh, uh, carfilzomib, for example. There is a third-generation imid after uh, lenalidomide called pomalidomide that is quite useful. Um, and then monoclonal antibodies, the daratumumab or elatuzumab, are often used in combinations with other drugs and can be quite effective. As Dr. Rajay has mentioned, Selenexor is a newly approved drug that's approved in combination with dexamethasone. And there is also uh, some recent data at ASCO showing uh, significant activity in combination with bortezomib and dexamethasone. And so we now have actually, instead of uh, a few drugs, we have literally a dozen or more drugs that can be used. And so there are many, many options and many, many choices. And finally, the, one of the more important things, as Dr. Rajay has mentioned, are clinical trials. We have some very exciting new immunotherapies that look very promising. And participation in those trials not only expands the knowledge base, but as a patient, you may benefit directly from participating in one of those trials. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we just have a question from one of our um, telephone participants, uh, Norma. Calvin C., your line is open. Yes, this is Calvin. Um, I'm concerned about, yes, I had cancer um, prior to multiple myeloma in the same year, and and I find myself um, the activity that I used to do as far as the martial art and karate and stuff, and um, I find myself can't you know do the don't have the strength and the energy to perform the things that I did prior. And outside, you know, I I try to limit myself outside more. Is this um, with this disease? Oh, that's, you know, Calvin, that's an excellent, excellent question. I, I'm going to ask Dr. O'Donnell if you could address this. Um, she, Dr. O'Donnell will address it in a general way, but then also try to make some suggestions to you as well. But um, thank you for that excellent question. Dr. O'Donnell? Sure. That's a really great question, and you are definitely not alone. A lot of patients uh, experience changes in their physique and changes in their energy level, um, and their physical functioning ability as a result of cancer therapy. If you were symptomatic from your myeloma, the hope is that you would feel better over time. I often say to patients, uh, good things happen, bad things happen fast, good things happen slowly. Sometimes with myeloma, patients um, have acute issues that cause 
um, them to lose some of their physical functioning, and it takes time to get that back. One of the challenges with multiple myeloma is that we use a lot of the corticosteroid dexamethasone for our treatment. And what we know about that medicine, particularly for prolonged use, is that it can change body composition. Uh, that over time patients and people can lose lean muscle, so the good muscle that helps you get out of a chair and do activities, and gain fat. Um, And so it's important to continue to exercise both to limit the loss of lean muscle, but also to combat that fatigue and loss of functioning. One of the only things that has been proven to improve cancer-related fatigue is actually exercise. So sometimes, as long as you're not injured or having pain, you may feel tired and may not want uh, to get up and go, but that's the right thing and the best thing for you to help to get back to the place where you were in terms of physical functioning. And in terms of his being a martial arts or kind of doing that type of activity and now not being able to, is there anything he can do as a substitute for that that you could recommend, Dr. Sure. Well, I think that some of, yeah, I think some of the wonderful elements of martial arts um, can be, you know, some of the mind-body and body control elements of that. And so, obviously, contact is not a good idea if that was an element of the martial arts before. Uh, but if some of the other practices in terms of the conditioning and the um, and the body control uh, elements can be preserved, that's acceptable. Um, yoga would be another substitute for some of those similar characteristics. Um, you know, exercise is like cycling on a stationary bike, elliptical trainer that are non-weight-bearing are good activities for patients who have bone lesions. Um, and so it's really trying to align, and I think this is really important for people, align the activities you choose to do and the exercise you choose to do with what you like. If you don't enjoy the activity that you're doing or making yourself do, it ultimately will not be successful for you. So when you choose an activity, choose something that appeals to you, that you enjoy doing, um, and hopefully find ones that are aligned with what limitations you might have. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. And a question now for Dr. Rajay. I hope that helps you, um, Calvin. And please also, you know, discuss this with your healthcare team. Um, there may be also someone in the center where you're being treated who could also, um, who knows you very well and may be able to recommend some things as well. But these are some, hopefully, these are tips that you can use, we hope. Um, and we have a question for Dr. Rajay um, about nerve pain. Um, how long... Um, uh, does the nerve pain continue? It's an online question. So. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question um, again. And, you know, uh, the problem with nerve pain is it can be frustrating because it can last a long, long time. Um, and it really depends on uh, where the nerve pain came from. So with multiple myeloma, you know, we didn't talk about nerve pain, but one of the features of myeloma in itself because of the protein, the protein in itself can cause nerve-related pain. So in those situations, the actual treatment for your myeloma is going to help with that nerve pain. There are treatments which we use in multiple myeloma, which are also 
um, cause neuropathy and then they give rise to nerve pain. And common drugs which do that are drugs like uh, bortezomib or Velcade and sometimes even the imids, the immunomodulatory drugs like lenalidomide and pomalidomide can cause neuropathy. Uh, I think the biggest thing one can do if you're getting uh, neuropathy and nerve-related pain from neuropathy is to make sure that you let your providers know. Make sure that they actually dose modify both the bortezomib or the pomalist and lenalidomide if those are the drugs you're on. Uh, because mitigating uh, the symptoms of neuropathy is probably the best thing. And then uh, in certain situations, you know, the good news is we have a lot of alternative drugs. You can go to drugs which do not cause neuropathy and are still going to be able to control your myeloma quite well. If you have nerve-related pain, I think it's really, really important uh, to understand and appreciate the fact that you, you know, this, you're going to have to be patient in terms of getting benefits from whatever you do. Number one, after stopping the offending drug, it does take a long time for the neuropathy to get better, but it does get better over time. So uh, patience. And while that is happening, there are drugs that we can use to mitigate some of those symptoms. And those drugs are typically drugs like gabapentin is used, other drugs like lyric and Symbolta uh, um, uh, are also used. And commonly what I will tell patients to do is do everything you can do for nerve health, which is uh, the B vitamins, B6, B12. Those are good nerve health vitamins. And then finally, you know, just echoing what Dr. O'Donnell has so nicely told all of you, exercise actually makes a difference even to neuropathy. The more you exercise those muscles, uh, the better your neuropathy is going to be. And really what helps most with nerve-related pain is things like hydrotherapy, aquatherapy. So if you're able to get into a pool and do some of those kinds of exercises, they're really good for your neuropathy as well. Excellent. Thank you. So I hope these are good suggestions. Hopefully this uh please take this back to your treating healthcare team as well and um some wonderful suggestions here. And a question for Dr. Um Bensinger. Um after bone marrow transplant, now approaching my hundred days, however, skin has still darkened and dark spots. Why and what can I do? That's a it's a good question. I'm not sure I have an easy answer. There are sometimes uh, patients who can have unusual side effects of uh, the high dose melphalan that is given, and I'm assuming that's what you are what you receive for your transplant. Uh, those kinds of skin changes can take months to resolve, and in occasional patients, they may be permanent. Uh, it isn't uh, other than the the color difference, it doesn't mean anything bad is happening. It's just one of those unusual side effects. But fortunately, uh, for most patients, it's something that's very uncommon. Okay, excellent. Um, and then a question for um, Dr. Rajay. Um, why does hyperglycemia occur in patients with multimyeloma? So this is, again, a side effect of some of the medications, and the commonest medication we use in every possible combination is dexamethasone or prednisone in certain situations. So the steroid component of your treatment is what 
pushes your sugars to go up. Um, you know, fortunately for us now, I think that that's the medication that we uh, dose reduce the fastest. So if you're having trouble with sugars initially where you're on higher doses of steroids, um, you know, make sure that uh, uh, your doctors are taking care of your diabetes as well. Uh, we sometimes need to use insulin, but as your myeloma gets controlled, we actually get rid of the steroid quickly, so it's hopefully only a temporary side effect. And another question for you, um, Dr. Ajay, how can I deal with loss of taste? Um, that's a good question, and that's a tough one. Um, and it's different for different people, really. It depends on what treatment you're on and whether or not it's treatment-related. Uh, you know, chemotherapy-related loss of taste, uh, um, post-high-dose uh, chemotherapy, for example, after your Melflan, Typically, after about a month or so, you, uh, uh, your taste is completely back to normal. Um, with the treatments we use now, though, like the, the IMIDs and the steroids, what I find patients tell me most is it's not so much the bortezomib or the uh, carfilzomib or the lenalidomide. It's when they're on steroids that they have this weird taste in their mouth. And that's the one drug which I do think most of us want to try and decrease quickly. So again, uh, getting rid of the steroid uh, over time will get your taste back. And if you still have problems with the taste while you're on an imid or uh, while you're on your prodisome inhibitor, that's something we're going to, uh, you know, I don't think that's necessarily going to go away, but you're going to have to have come up with strategies to use foods which um, which you like, which you don't mind eating, but I don't think there's an easy fix for this, unfortunately. But getting rid of the steroid does help, and chemotherapy-related uh, um, taste changes are short-lived and go away. Okay, thank you. Um, and then um, another question um, for Dr. O'Donnell. Uh, can certain treatments affect my ability to become pregnant or have children? If so, should I talk with fertility specialists before cancer treatment begins? Sure, absolutely. Um, and, you know, in general, myeloma is a patient, a disease of older patients, but we do have young patients who get this um, autologous stem cell transplant with high-dose chemotherapy. These are certainly considerations. If you are young and of childbearing potential and want to have children, I think it is very important uh, to talk to a fertility specialist before starting treatment. One of the mainstays of myeloma therapies are the imids, so lenalidomide, pomalidomide, and thalidomide. Those are absolutely contraindicated in pregnancy, uh, meaning you really should not take them. Uh, so it's very important to discuss this with your uh, treating provider so they know of your intentions and your plans for pregnancy. But in addition to that, in the greater scheme of your, scheme of your myeloma therapy, to talk to a fertility specialist. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and then for Dr. Bensinger, I'm scheduled to have a stem cell transplant in a few months. How should I prepare and what should I expect? Well, that's a great question. Um, there's a number of considerations. Um, generally, a stem cell transplant is undertaken after your initial uh, treatment 
uh, for newly diagnosed myeloma. And that's because of most of the data has been generated uh, using it as a form of what we call consolidation therapy. As your treatment progresses, your numbers, your myeloma proteins will decrease to a point well where they'll either disappear or plateau, uh, get to a point where they don't go any lower. As that occurs, you're going to need to undergo some additional testing, uh, restaging studies, perhaps a bone marrow, perhaps some scans, and in addition, um, your doctors generally are going to want to look at other organ function to make sure you're in good shape. Uh, this includes things like uh, an echocardiogram to look at your heart, lung function studies. And as all these things are going, you should try to maintain as active a lifestyle as you're able. If you're not seriously compromised by bone disease, you should exercise. Um, this has been mentioned, of course, by Dr. O'Donnell, but walking is an excellent form of exercise, and you should do that. You should also try to eat well, eat a healthy diet, a balanced diet of good nutrition, these are all things that are important. If you have any, uh, let's just say, desire, uh, habits that may affect your health, such as smoking or excessive alcohol, I strongly encourage you to stop or cut back on those things because th that will all help you get in better shape so that when you, the transplant occurs, uh, you're going to be in the best possible shape to undergo this treatment. Excellent, thank you. And um, a question for Dr. Um, Rache. What are the risk factors for myeloma? Uh, again, a good question here. There are no, you know, so one can rephrase that question a little bit, Carolyn. Do we know what causes multiple myeloma? And uh, really we don't, and there's no uh, specific uh, uh, etiology that we know of as of right now. There are certain things which we do know can predispose uh, uh, patients to cancer and more specifically to myeloma. So uh, risk of uh, radiation um, has been known to be associated with uh, uh, myeloma. Outside of that, um, um, you know, there's some data on um, being exposed to certain chemicals such as woodworkers being exposed to chemicals or people in the agricultural industry exposed to a lot of chemicals. Agent Orange has been loosely associated with the risk of develop developing myeloma. Um, so nothing concrete and nothing that you can specifically avoid. Um, we do have precursor disease states such as MGUS or monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance and smoldering myeloma, which are kind of precursor disease states. But again, there's nothing um, that you can necessarily do to uh, prevent um, the development in terms of um, 
specific things to avoid. I think the big things to do, even if you have any of those precursor disease states in terms of uh, delaying progression to myeloma is something which I would highlight is what Dr. O'Donnell has already told us, you know, good diet, good exercise, keeping your immune system as strong as possible so that you do not develop symptomatic disease, other things one can sort of uh, incorporate in their uh, lifestyle. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and we have actually um, a follow-up question from one of our telephone participants. So um, Norma could take that question. Calvin C., your line is open. Yes. Yeah, so my last question. Thank you. I'm trying to – I spent a lot of time sometime outside cutting grass, and I take revenue every day. Is it due, due to the sun? Uh, should I limitate my time outside? Or can you give me a, a, a question for the – answer for my question, please. Oh, thank you for that question. Excellent question. Um, Dr. Donald, do you want to address that? No, I don't. Yes, absolutely. I don't think you should limit your time outside. I think it's fine to continue to do the activities that you normally did, uh, specifically what you cited about cutting the grass. There's nothing about taking Revlimid um, that would prevent you from doing that. And really, one of the important things for all cancer patients to think about is not stopping doing the activities, whether that be emptying the dishwasher, folding the laundry. Um, those are all part of preserving your physical function. Even if it's not true exercise, it's about keeping active and avoiding inactivity. Um, so challenge yourself to continue to do those types of activities uh, that I just listed as part of your daily routine. Excellent. The only thing I would add to that, Carolyn, I agree yes. 100% with uh, Dr. O'Donnell. Uh, Calvin, if you're out in the sun, all these drugs make your skin a little more photosensitive, so just make sure you're using good SPF ointment, anything 35 and plus. So a good sunscreen and, and perhaps a hat or something or something. Okay. Yeah, for right. sure. Okay. All right. Um, excellent. Well, thank you. I, this has been an extraordinary call. I want to thank our speakers, um, just really amazing. But I also want to thank our participants who really asked such really great questions. And really, um, you know, your questions really add so much to the call. Obviously, it gives us a chance to, to hear some of your concerns and, and questions. So really outstanding. Um, a wonderful team today, I have to say. This is probably one of the most... Uh, one of the most interesting and one of the most well-informed questions we've had on the program. So I thought they're always well-informed, but they're different questions today, and, and I think it's just terrific. So thank you all, and thank our speakers very much. So, um, And I, this, we did say this is a one-hour program, but I, I do want to um, get back to the issues of the questions and questions you may still have. For those of you who asked questions today, um, and received information, please take that back to your treating healthcare team. Of course, they know you the best. They absolutely know you the best, and um, that's really um, so very much important to do that. Those of you who've been listening and maybe didn't ask a question but heard a question and how it relates to you, again, back to your healthcare team. And for those of you who didn't get to ask a question, please go back to your healthcare team with your questions. Um, that's really important. And for those of you who still have medical questions about your care, which I'm sure many of you do, um, I can see from the queue, um, please actually do, um, you know, uh, go to your healthcare team. They know you the best. They have all your records, everything about you. But I also am aware of the fact that many of you do like to have to get credible information 
um, so that you feel more informed when you ask your healthcare team questions, even though you've heard from all of our speakers that they definitely want to hear your questions. Nevertheless, with that being said, we want you to go to credible websites for your information. Um, and um, in, uh, in two days, well, actually, it'll probably be on Monday, you'll be getting an evaluation form from us. Well, we do like to get your feedback on the program. But the evaluation form will also include uh, lots of resources for you to contact um, specific to multi-myeloma. Um, there are many organizations out there. Um, I'll just mention a few by name. They're known to you, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, the Multi-Myeloma Foundation. There are a number of organizations that are specific to multi-myeloma that actually could be a great resource for you to get very credible, up-to-date information. They, um, so that, that's, that's one thing I do want to mention. Um, and there'll be others we'll mention as well. There are many organizations out there. Um, in addition to that, um, for those of you who want to pursue further assistance from cancer care, um, whether it be um, practical and financial assistance, help with transportation, which is a big issue that people have, of course, concerns about transportation for treatment. Um, for those of you, and safe transportation, obviously, for treatment, um, and and also those who just want to connect with one of our oncology social workers to talk with them about your concerns, either on our website or calling us, please do that and take advantage of those services. They're free and they're available to all of you. Also, I do want to mention that your healthcare team includes many, many members of the team, some of whom you may not always meet. But if you identify your issue or question with your health, with your, your oncologist, your, your physician, your myeloma expert, um, if you have a question about your diet, there are dietitians there. If it's a question about finances, there's a financial advisor, there's an, probably a patient navigator or an oncology social worker there as well. So be aware that your team, um, there's a physical therapist there. So be aware that your team includes many, many different disciplines, some of whom you don't get to meet until you identify an issue that you're really struggling with. Um, so that's important as well. So I want to thank you all for your participation today. Um, you have been an extraordinary group, both in terms of our speakers and our participants. A wonderful team, I must say. And uh, I want to wish you all a very fine day. There is a part two to this program, so you'll be getting information about that. It's specifically for caregivers, and um, so that you'll be getting that information as well um, when, when you get the evaluation. And thank you all, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.